So I was on uh, I was online last night looking for like fake news and real news stuff, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe this was a thing on multiple sites. Like, you just Google like weird facts that seem fake but are true, <laughs> and one of the first ones that come up is that if you pronounce the name of Jesus backwards, it's what? Sausage. Yes. <laughs> wow. Bro, the fact that you know that straight up, is, you've, you've seen it before. No, I can't say I have. I no, just, just, just kind of pictured it. the word in my head, <laughs> and then I said what I pictured. It's, yeah. it's on multiple sausage. sites. It's, it's sausage. Yeah. And they're like, Jesus is sausage backwards. And then I... It's a bit of a stretch. Sausage. It's sausage. It's sausage. It's sausage. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely sausage. It's sausage with a, with a, a bit of an accent. <laughs> sausage. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it wasn't going to be a fake news or real news. Yeah. But it was just going to be a funny thing that I mentioned <laughs> because I thought it was very interesting. Well, I appreciate that. Wait, You're you, welcome. You didn't just make that up? No, it's sausage. We got to make it a soundbite. Is, is that the new soundbite now? Yeah. That's pretty cool. You said that we never have any sound bites of you. Yeah, and Nick says that we got to make stuff a soundbite at least four times an episode. So we made that a soundbite. Isn't that ironic? We got to make it a soundbite. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. But you know what else we made a soundbite? <laughs> that's essential to this show. Essential. It's essential. There is no other soundbite that's more important than this one. <clears throat> oh, essential. Essential. You because know, that's core well, dinger doctrine. Before every single point you make, you gotta clear your throat. But to be honest, in the edit, I cut out a lot of those. Do you really? That the dinger nation doesn't hear. You do? <sighs> I do. I I have phlegm, man. I got, I'm phlegmy. There's, there's no phlegm there. It's just a habit. I live in Flemington, bro. It's the. <laughs> no, it's don't. it's the same thing as a Jennifer Aniston uh, voice twitch. Have you heard that? No. So on Friends, before each line, she always clears her throat. Really? I found that fun fact last night. Yeah. And there's this whole TikTok thing about her now, like what, 30, 40 years after the show? I don't even know how long it's been. Yeah. That there's a Jennifer Addison voice tick that you can't unhear. Yeah. And now anytime you watch a show, you're going to hear her clear her throat before each line. Really? Yeah. That's pretty interesting. And I never noticed it before. <clears throat> But now, I know. You know what? To be honest, I really am very flimmy. <laughs> That's okay. I inherited from that. Flemington, New Jersey? Well, I'm not from Flemington, but I am flimmy. And it also, I think that's half of the time. And the other half of the time, I think that's me trying to compose myself. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, compose my thoughts. I think that's more so 90% of the time. You think so? Yes. That could be. But Well, you, you said that you, you do that when it's time to get serious. Yeah, that. it's like, yeah, like composing that. myself and yeah. like, okay, this is, okay, now I got to state some facts. Yes, you Some do dinger that. doctrine. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. Yeah. You know how we start the show. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. And we are Bible Dingers. And I got some breaking news for you. Are you and you ready for this? Yes, the two of you listeners, are you and you ready? 
Uh, Are you, 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 you ready for this? I thought we were doing new stuff. Breaking news. Real or fake. Bible Dingus drops a new segment today. That's real news. Is it? That's real news. Because I'm not sure. Uh, that's fake. I mean, I guess you're going to have to show me. We already started the season. Uh, it's probably fake. I don't know. You know what? I think it's real. I think it's real, too. Hit that sound bite for me. Bible dingers ding or no ding. Welcome to 95.3 The Ding. <laughs> New York's one and only dinger ding channel dings. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta I gotta compose myself for a second. <clears throat> <laughs> Hold on. I don't know why there's so many pictures on this website, bro. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> That's like when you look up a recipe <laughs> You have to oh, yeah. scroll through what the life story oh, I the hate that <laughs> I like this recipe on a cold day in the, in the autumn <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know how to make a cake <laughs> Exactly <laughs> What is going on? This is how it, not how it looked last night <laughs> Let's try that again that's Bible right. Dingers, ding or no ding. That's right. New segment, ding or no ding. That's the breaking news of today's episode, where I come up with a fun fact, and if you guys think it's real, you ding. We have to ding the bell if it's if it's if 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 while you're guessing, okay. you can guess ding or no ding. Okay. And if you're correct, you get a ding. If not, then you get our traditional. All right. Scientists who work with cockroaches often become allergic to pre-ground coffee. Let me repeat that. Scientists who work with cockroaches often become allergic to pre-ground coffee. That's oddly specific. or no ding. Don't answer. When you have your answer ready in your brain, let me know. I have it ready in my brain. We have to have that Jeopardy. Dun, 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 no, dun, I'm ready. Dun. You ready? Yeah. To ding or not to ding? That is the question. What is the answer? What's the answer, guys? Ding. Ding. Ding? You're correct. Ding. But i got to show you this for a second. Show it to me. All right. According to... Douglas Emlin, cockroaches that infest large piles of coffee beans are often just ground up instead of removed. This is why I will always buy whole bean coffee now, since it would be too difficult to eliminate them completely. So check this out. In the U.S., the Food and Drug Administration allows a certain amount of insect filth to be included in coffee and other foods as long as it doesn't exceed a pre-established percentage. Mm. Yeah, I, I heard that. So, since it's actually pretty common for researchers to develop acute allergies to the specimens they study, they become allergic to the pre-ground coffee because there's cockroaches in it. You know, I heard that, uh, yeah, food could have a certain amount of rat poo in it. Because So I will never buy pre-ground 
pre-ground coffee again. Well, you're drinking pre-ground coffee right now as we speak. I will never buy pre-ground coffee oh, again. okay. You'll drink it, though. I'll drink it. <laughs> this cockroach coffee is the best coffee I've ever had. Yeah. But I got one more for you. Okay. And it's going to be really quick. Okay. Hippo milk is the only animal that produces pink milk. Ding or no ding? Hippos produce pink milk? Ding or no ding? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go with... Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. on. To ding or not to ding? That is the question. What is the answer? Oh, no ding. No ding. No ding? No ding. No ding. No, No, because I produce pink milk too. Do you really? Uh, Yeah. What? (laughs) And that's quick. Oh, Ryan's a hippo. So, so, no ding. You're right. There's no ding. Yeah, you got it right. So I'm not gonna hit anything. What's the no ding no sound? Ding. We got maybe we gotta. This come is up the with sound. Something. Ready? Ready? There you go. <laughs> That's actually. But here's good. the thing with this. I wanted to talk to you about it. Okay. If you Google hippos produce pink milk, mm-hmm. it comes up as a legit uh, as a legit fact. Mm. And I almost included it on the show as a real fact. Right. But I always double, triple, quadruple check just to make sure I'm right. Right. Some people say they do. And it's like this odd fact that spreads throughout all the internet Oh, that isn't actually true. I see. So if you Google it right now, the first thing that pop up is that it's true. But then you have to continue to research really? it and you'll know that it's false. Very interesting. Well, that's like Darth Vader saying Luke. That's exactly fire. what I was thinking. Yeah. What is that? The Mandela effect? That's what it's called, right? Well, yeah, Mandela effect is like, I don't know, you th- you think something is true and everybody thinks it's true, but then once you go back and look at it, it's something else. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Something like that. There you go. So no Nesquik strawberry milk for you, hippo. Celebrating moments all around me. I see family. Enemy do shots to testimony. Gonna do damage. Bible dingers. Prayers on my napkins. Stripes all on this meal, man. Like I'm out with that package. I'ma die out with the greats. I don't wanna mail in your waist. My name is. So, today's episode is on. The Book of John. The Book of One. Yeah, The Book of John. And if this is your first time listening, we start each and every show with ding or no ding starting today. And then we dive into the topic, which is the book of Juan. So we are first going to go over the title of the book, also known as the turtle of the book. And many, many people know it as the turtle of the book. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. universal. Right. It's like a, con- you know, only conservatives. Uh, but Bi- some people call Bible it. college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theologians, scholars, they all know that it's a turtle of the book. But for you lay people who still call it title for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, we have to bring clarity for you. Right. So the title of this book, uh, similar to the other Gospels, was originally called According to John. Similar to the other Gospels, which were according to Matthew, yep. according mm-hmm. to Mark, according to Luke, and you, according to Judas. You think they played oh. accordions? Yeah. Accordion. So it is named after the author of the book, of course. 
Now, let's get into the author of the book. But there's a big question you must ask, and that is... Who wrote this? The author's name does not appear within the text itself, as it does in many books of the Bible. But that is true of every gospel account. There are many clues that point us to who the author is, though. So we'll start with internal evidence. The biggest indicator of John's authorship is the exclusion of his name from this book. So every time there's a list of disciples, it always includes 11 names plus an unnamed disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's always who, how he's referred to. Mm-hmm. John's name is the one that's excluded from these lists. So it was showing both um, humility and affection from John. If anyone else would have written this gospel, they surely wouldn't have left John's name out because he is one of the core three disciples, yep. which is Peter, James, and John. Yep. Now, as far as external evidence, the early church fathers and historians unanimously agree that this gospel was written by John. In fact, this is one of the most sure cases of this type of evidence. And here's why. Arrhenius was a disciple of Polycarp which, as you know, is a Pokemon, but it was also <laughs> an early church father. Yeah. Look at you. Polycarp was a disciple of John. So Irenaeus was told directly from John's disciple and then documented the fact that John wrote this gospel during his residence in Ephesus in Asia Minor when he was advanced in age. So this came from... Straight from the horse's mouth. This guy wrote that John wrote this because he knew straight from John. Yeah, uh, Jay nice. Warner Wallace calls that the chain of custody. Yeah. So this was also attested to by Clement of Alexandria, Eusebius, and essentially all the usual church fathers and historians. So there you go. John wrote it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Now it is time to go over the date of writing. So most of the church fathers who wrote about John's authorship of this book also noted that he wrote in his old age. John lived a long life, uh, likely all the way until a little after 100 AD. So he lived nearly 100 years. And on top of that, early church fathers have always classified this as the, quote, fourth gospel. It's always been known that Matthew, Mark, and Luke came before John in in terms of dates of writing this is also supported by the content that john placed in his gospel so assumedly this was meant to be supplementary to the synoptic gospels which if you remember from the intro to new testament synoptic gospels are matthew mark and luke Mm -hmm. john was aware of them and assumed that his audience had also been aware of them so because of these clues it is likely that he wrote the gospel of john towards the end of his life which was between 85 and and 95 A.D. Beautiful. And next is the (laughs) general purpose of the book. And what's interesting about this book is John is another author who actually gives you the purpose of the book himself. And if you turn your Bibles to John 20, verses 30 and 31, it says... Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe, here we go, 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How you doing? There you go. Where's the how you doing? How you doing? There we go. So, gospel from start to finish. It's a beautiful, beautiful depiction of what the gospel is from start to finish. Next is the... I'll just handle the soundboard. (laughs) Fun facts of this book. And that is, John's gospel is very different compared to the other three gospels. So if you read them all the way through, you'll see a major difference here. While the other three Gospels are all generally the same with their own styles and differences, so similar stories, just maybe some uh, different writing styles and stuff, about 93% of the content in the Gospel of John is not in the other three. Hmm. So it is unique and mostly... Mostly like from, mostly. from Jungle Book? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's unique, and it's mostly focused on Jesus' conversations with people as opposed to the miracle stories that we see in the other Gospels. And the next next, uh, fun fact is the book of John has the most quoted verse of any book in the Bible, which is what, John 3.16? Yes, sir. Did you have to ask? Yeah, right. But there's a lot of quoted John verses, let's be real. No, uh, and not one more than that one. Yeah, no, without a doubt. It's the most tattooed verse in the history of the world. Is it? Absolutely. Most tattooed? Can I see the statistics on that? Yeah. 93% of people have John 3.16 written on their bicep. That's, yeah. That's like over a billion people. <laughs> yeah. That's quite a large amount. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's hope they're all saved. Right? Oh, forgot so love these guns. <laughs> they gave his only gun. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. There's no soundboards for these, no sound bites for these fun facts. Well, bro. we do have quite a, a large amount of sound bites. So though. hit them yeah. for me. There bro. should be a sound bite for that. Okay. There we go. And the next, John also has the shortest verse of the entire Bible, which is one of my favorite verses. I love this verse of all time, which is John eleven thirty five, mm-hmm. Jesus wept. Hmm. And I love that verse. And we'll talk about it in the outline. The next fun fact is... How you doing? Jesus nicknamed John and his brother James Sons of Thunder. Possibly because they're kind of crazy. So, uh, I did a little bit of research on this. Maybe it was thunderous anger. We see some of this thunderous, you know, quote-unquote thunderous behavior in Luke 9 when they wanted to rain fire down on the villagers that were prejudiced against Jesus. And basically, Jesus told them to chill out, but they were willing, they, they were saying, what do we do? What do we do? Do we rain fire from the sky and, like, take them out? Yeah. You know, so that might be some of the behavior that, you know, helps name them that, but... You know, there's a lot of behavior. Yeah, there's a lot of other possible explanations, but that's one of them. Yeah, I gotta say, I was, I think I was behaving a little thunderously last night. Yeah, yeah. What were you doing? Uh, I had a lot of cheese. Mm. You know what I mean? (laughs) Thank you for that. Also, the next fun fact is the most important fun fact that there is on the list, and that is this is probably my all-time favorite book of the Bible. Oh wow! 
Fun. Yes. Wow. That's fun. Oh. If you didn't believe it, well, I'm here to tell you that it's true. Wow. Okay. Oh, I didn't believe it. Because ding or no ding. Thank you for correcting me. Ding or no ding, guys. This is my favorite book of the Bible. Wow. Ding? Let me give it to you. All right. Let's move on to the next fun fact. John is the only gospel that mentions the apostle Nathaniel. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, I did know that. I found out about five seconds ago, yeah. Okay. So, Never heard of while you're reading, you're like, who the heck is the Apostle Nathaniel? Most conservative scholars would say that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same exact person. Oh. Uh. So, it seems weird if you're reading this for the first time and you re- read the other Gospels and you know Bartholomew is left out of John. Yeah, Bart. That's because Bart is actually... Is Nate. Nat. Yeah, oh, Nat. Yeah, Nat Bart. Yeah. Uh, that's like... Uh, what, Cephas and Peter? Yeah, yeah, exactly. that's it. Exactly, exactly. So I found that interesting because there are some other scholars that would say he's not, but that obviously is a major contradiction. So we know it's Bartholomew. So that's Nat, right? Are you doing? Bart. Next. We think that it is. <laughs> Sorry. Let me tell you something. Bart, Lisa, and Homer. Uh, okay. Only Bart's mentioned here. Yeah. Lisa and Homer Nat are left out. Yeah. Yeah, they're Nat mentioned. <laughs> dough. I wish we had the dough. <laughs> we gotta make it a sound bite. We gotta make that a sound bite? Yeah. Big time. All, All right. right. The next is everybody's favorite part of the show, and that is It's outline time. Yeah. I'm loving these new sound bites. Yeah. I didn't think I was gonna like them at first, but it definitely offers the listeners some smooth transitions. Yeah. Like Nutella. Yep. How Nutella is quite a smooth transition. It is. Yeah. From one corner of the bread to the other. <laughs> <laughs> transitions nicely into my mouth. <laughs> okay, we got to get into this. All right, it's outline time. And this outline has not one, two, three, four, but five. I wanted you to do something crazy with that. Points of this gospel. The first point of this book is the prologue, and that's chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We see the pre-incarnate word. This is probably one of the most famous verses in all of the book of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Through him all things were made. So this is, if you're a Christian and you believe in the Trinity, this should be one of your go-to verses. And it's probably one of the most common verses for displaying the deity of Christ. Word. Um, I've, I've argued this verse with many Jehovah Witnesses. Word. Word. Word life. Dugonomics. Word. The, the next is the witness of John the Baptist. And that happens in chapter 1, verses 6 and 8. Hopefully we all know the story of John the Baptist because we spoke about him in the other Gospels. And we know that some of the other people thought that John was Christ. Hmm. But it's clear in this text that he is not. 
In fact, he came to tell us about Jesus Christ. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. He said he's not even worthy to button up his sandals or something. Yeah. 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 Sandal buttons. Yeah. Sandal buttons are intense. Straps. Yeah. Yeah. The buttons are the greatest on sandals. (laughs) The button sandals. (laughs) They don't make them like that anymore, bro. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next is the appearance of light in verses 9 to 13. Later on in this book, Jesus will literally call himself the light of the world. And fun fact, we are actually explaining this verse right now on our Instagram. So if you go on, if you haven't followed us on social media. Is it right now or is it six weeks ago? Because we're recording this six weeks in advance. Right now, six weeks ago. (laughs) Right now, six weeks ago. If you scroll down to probably six weeks worth of post, <laughs> you will find an explanation on the light of the world. And if you don't, you haven't scrolled down that far because it's very, very old. Old. So we post so much content. Yes. But you'll get there. Or it's in our stories on our highlights, actually. So if you can't scroll down, you can click on our highlights and you'll see an explanation of the light of the world in uh, John chapter 1. Then we see the incarnation of the Word in verses 14 through 18. John is telling us here that Jesus is God in the flesh, the one who John the Baptist prophesied about. Then we move on to the second point of the book, and that is Jesus' public ministry in uh, chapter 1, verse 19, going into chapter 12, verse 50. So this is a big chunk of the book, but we'll break it down. And uh, we'll break it down from the pr- the prelude. Is that how you say it? Prelude. The prelude? Prelude. Prelude. Okay, we'll break it down from the prelude to Jesus' public ministry in chapter 1, verses 19 through 51. So first off, John the Baptist veiled testimony to Jesus in chapter 1, verse 19 through 28. So John admitted he was not the Christ to the priests and the Levites. He was baptizing people. He said that he wasn't even worthy to unbutton Jesus' sandals. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is where you see real humility from this guy. Yeah, John the Baptist was really a special individual if everyone around him thought he was the Christ. And he was like, no, no way. I'm nothing compared to this guy. And that was Jesus. And then John the Baptist uh, identifies Jesus in verses 29 to 34. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's a famous one. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. And uh, this is gospel from start to finish, and it's gospel given straight from John the Baptist's mouth. And then we see the response to John the Baptist's witness in verses 35 through 42. And that's where Peter and Andrew were intrigued and wanted to follow Jesus. And then we see more responses from Andrew and Philip in verses 43 to 51. So Jesus told Philip and Nathaniel, shout out Bart. Bart. Shout out Homer. Nat Bart. Lisa. No. No. So Jesus told Philip and Nathaniel, which we know is Bartholomew now, to follow him. Hmm. Next up is Jesus' early Galilean ministry, beginning in chapter 2. And we read until verse 12, the first sign of what? His deity, 
of his uh, power, of his miracle working, is changing water to wine. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, this is the famous scene at the wedding of Cana. And this is one of my mother-in-law's favorite stories to convince me to pray to Mary, actually. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew that. What, because Jesus submitted to his mother or something like that? Yeah, that's what they try to say. Uh, This is probably, and I mentioned this not to not Catholics because I love you, but because this is one of the most used verses to show you that you must pray to Mary. Hmm. So I wanted to bring some clarification to it. Don't pray to Mary. Oh, there you go. That's the clarification. There you go. No, no, no. So uh, they try to say that uh, he acts his mother... And then he changed his mind and did it anyway. Mm. But in the text, you could see that he said, woman, the time is not now. So if, if she was really that special, <laughs> he would definitely wouldn't have said woman. Yeah, she's definitely not special. Yeah, no, she's special. But he, 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 he told her he wouldn't do it. And then he decided within his own will to do it. Yeah. It's not that she convinced him. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. All right. Next is Jesus' initial stay in Capernaum. I knew you were going to say Capernaum. You don't say Capernaum? No, I say Capernaum. Really? But keep going, yeah. You you could very well be right. I don't know, but I've always said Capernaum. Yeah. I don't know which one is right. I could be wrong. I, may, I mean, I'm from Brooklyn. I, I got to say, say I just you know stop the show now. I don't, say, I don't talk much about Capernaum, to be honest, so I don't think I've ever had it come up in conversation until about 10 seconds ago. Okay. Well, either way, he went to this place. The land filled the capers. <laughs> Numb. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> he went there, and I find this verse pretty interesting because, you know, people like to say that Jesus didn't have any brothers or sisters or whatever. And it's pretty clear in this text that he went there with his mother, brothers, and disciples. So it wasn't that the brothers were his disciples. Like some, you know, defenses would say, but they were actually his brothers that he went with. I mean, but we know of his brother James. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the very no, least. No, but they would say his they're his brother oh, in Christ, brother. Oh. Not that they're his blood brother. Parker. Obviously, he had brothers. He had bros. So uh, then after that, we see Jesus' first visit to Jerusalem. The first cleansing of the temple happens in verses 13 through 22. Basically, people are selling oxen and other animals at the temple. And this is a famous scene where Jesus completely drives them out. And uh, the disciples question him, and he told them that they could destroy the temple, and in three days he would rise it up. So obviously this is a foreshadow of his death and resurrection Mm -hmm. that he's speaking about here. And then we see the initial response to Jesus in Jerusalem in verses 23 and 25 of chapter 2, that many believed in his name because of all the things he was doing. So we know that his good works was a display of his power. But we'll see later on that although some people turned, most of them didn't. Most of them didn't believe in him at all. So I know a lot of us in this society would be like, oh, if Jesus just did the same thing that he did in in the Old Testament or the New Testament, or if God did that in the Old Testament, or Jesus acted in the New Testament, I would believe. Obviously, that's not the case, because they didn't even believe. Yeah, um, when we get to the Ascension, it says that some people s- still didn't believe while he was ascending into the clouds. Isn't that crazy? That word? Yeah, you don't. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, salvation belongs to our God, right? I mean, he has to renew our hearts. 
I tell you what, I have seen David Blaine do that. So, and I don't believe that he's the Christ. He's he's quite far from it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he descend. He ascended to heaven. No, he it, descended yeah. from heaven. Well, like in he Las Vegas, walked on yeah. water, right? Yeah, yeah. So did Joe Osteen and Kanye. They do many Christ-like things. They walked there. on. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. you don't remember that? No. It was like such a quick thing. I'm like, this is so stupid. Yeah, Kanye West uh, walked Joe Osteen down to the platform while he was talking, and they both walked on water to get there. Oh well. But it was obviously not. Right. It was like a a, a glass, glass floor yeah. on top of the water. Interesting, but. Yeah, Kanye, special individual there. Uh, where was I? Okay, the now as we move on in chapter three, actually as we begin in chapter three, verses one through twenty-one, we see this famous conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, and that's where Jesus tells him that you must be born again. It's a very famous story that is very applicable to us. All of us must be born again. Nicodemus asks, you know, what does that mean? Do yeah, I have to go very, back in? Yeah, I remember Ryan the mother's talking womb. about this, yeah. He was very confused. Yeah, very, very confused. Ryan was like, you were impersonating Nicodemus. You're like, what, I got to crawl into my mother's womb again? Oh, that does sound familiar. That sounds yeah. like it was a long time ago. It, it does. Yeah. What was that? Probably like sure. season one. I don't know why we would talk about this, though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, but Jesus obviously brings clarification to this text. If you read it, you'll know exactly what he means. And the next story that we see is John the Baptist's reaction to Jesus' ministry in chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. So basically, John continued to baptize people, and John is acting, you know, like a special individual and doing some really awesome things. But he also admits here in this text that Jesus must increase and that he may decrease. This is a very famous verse that most Christians would have read already. Um, But again, showing the humility of John the Baptist. Then we see the explanation of Jesus's preeminence in verses 31 through 36 of chapter 3. So basically in verse 36, John the Baptist validates the doctrine of sola fide. Which is? Which is faith alone. Sola fide. Yeah, sola fide. Uh, so he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And we see other places of Scripture also that validates this doctrine. You said that means faith alone. Faith alone. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and uh, through Christ alone. And how do we know this? By Scripture alone. So those are the five solas. So I figured I'd let you know what that was. Was that five? I wasn't counting. I I might have mentioned four, but you get the you get the idea. Yeah. Next is Jesus's ministry in Samaria. Samaria. Some area. Remember? Some area. Oh, Stephen Furtick. Oh, Stephen Furtick. Oh my man. Yeah, your man, Stephen Furtick. My man. Yeah, there's some area that Jesus is working on right now. We're not sure <laughs> where it is. That was and classic. Yeah, classic. <laughs> I said Jesus. You have to go preach in some area. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is uh, this Stephen Furtick oh, sermon man. is based on known. Uh, this this uh, this ministry in Samaria is in verses one through forty two of chapter four. Basically, it starts off with the interview with the Samaritan woman in verses one through twenty six. Jesus gives her a valuable lesson about living water and also admits to her that he is the Christ. Then we see Jesus's explanation of evangelistic ministry 
in verses 27 through 38, the apostles were worried about eating actual food, but Jesus was actually more worried about evangelizing than he was about eating. Mm -hmm. Then we see the response to Jesus in Samaria in verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans believed in Jesus now because of the women's testimony. So if you haven't read that testimony, make sure you go back and read it because it's pretty moving and pretty just like Jesus. If you're not sure anything about Jesus's personality, it will really show you who he is. Anyway, then we see uh, Jesus's resumption of his Galilean ministry in verses 43 through 54. Jesus returns to Galilee. Uh, He went from Jerusalem to Galilee and the Galileans welcome him. Then we see the second sign of his miracle working, way making, miracle work, mm. promise keep. Anyway, um, so Bruh. we see the, the, the healing, the official son. So once again, Jesus returns to Cana where he turned water into wine. And he simply told the man, your son will live. And although his son was nearing death, he lived. Mm. So we see the power of Jesus there. Then we see Jesus' second visit to Jerusalem in chapter 5, the third sign of his promise-keeping. No. Healing the paralytic. That's in chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Jesus healed him and caused him to walk. The antagonism of the Jewish authorities is something that we heard about all throughout the other Gospels, and we hear about it now in verses 10 through 18 of chapter 5. They were upset because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. This is not a new story here. Then we move on to the son's equality with the father. This is very, very interesting stuff in verses 19 through 29. This uh, pushes us and encourages us to do a study of something called Christology. Mm. Um, the study of Christ. Christ. Yeah. Miss. No, uh, it's a study of Christology. So basically the Bible makes a clear distinction here, like the ones given in these verses. But it's a clear distinction without separation. So we need to understand Jesus' role as a human, Jesus' role as the Son of God, and we need to understand the Godhead and the Holy Spirit. And in order to understand Jesus, you should study something called Christology. That'll really help bring clarity to something like this. But I know that at first glance, it could be kind of confusing. Hey, can I jump in and plug something real quick? If this is your first time hearing the word Christology, you can jump over to our YouTube page um, because we're doing a prolegomena series. What prolegomena is, is just introductory theological terms. So if you've never heard the word Christology, you're interested to know more theological terms like it, go check us out on YouTube. We got a whole series going over basic terms that you should know if you want to study theology. Definitely, definitely. And then we see the Father's witness to the Son in chapter 30 through 47. You sound like you're breaking up a little bit there. (laughs) The Father's witness to the Son in chapter uh, 5, verses 30 through 47. The Son has come to do the will of the Father, while at the same time Jesus says the Scriptures bear witness about Him. So it's an overall picture the Bible is is painting for us. Uh, From start to finish of the Bible as a whole. We want to see the picture completed, not in individual verses that are confusing. We want to look at what the Bible says about Jesus as a whole. And like I said, they make distinctions without separation, so we know that the deity of Christ is still shown all throughout this book. 
next, and we will move a little faster, is Jesus' later Galilean ministry. So we see the fourth sign where he feeds the 5,000. We know this story, the five loaves and two fish. The fifth sign, the walking on the water. We talked about this earlier. Then we see the bread of life discourse. Here we go, where Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Shout out to the Instagram post that tells us that I love bread. That we definitely love bread. Why? Because Jesus Christ is is the bread of life. <laughs> no, we go on our Instagram. You can check out our highlights. And we've already uh, talked about this verse and we explained it. So check it out there. Next, we move on to the responses to the bread of life discourse. The disciples were kind of confused and they left him. I tell you what, we talk about bread quite a bit more than you would think because I've hit that soundbite every time we talk about bread. Mm-hmm. You know, it's quite a bit. Talking yep. about fake Subway bread. Yep. Yeah. That, that was one. Yeah. 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 Then we move on to the controversy surrounding Jesus. This is not new news. This is old news that the people wanted to speak good about him, but were afraid of the Jewish hypocrites. I mean, the Jewish leaders. Hey, hey. Then Jesus' ministry at the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus tells them that his message is from God. He corrected the people. They discourage him for healing on the Sabbath, but he corrects them by saying, aren't you still working on the Sabbath if you're following the law of Moses and circumcising your children on that same day? So he corrects them there. Uh, then we see their unbelief where they wanted Jesus arrested. And then we move on to uh, John chapter 7, verses 53, all the way into chapter 8, verse 11. A fun fact about this is that the mo- the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include this portion of John. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that, uh, check back to our episode that we did after the book of Mark with uh, Daniel B. Wallace. And there we talk about manuscripts and what should and shouldn't be in the Bible, so yeah, on and so forth. Yeah, but basically, this story of the woman caught in adultery... Some manuscripts include it, some manuscripts don't. Uh, We don't have to bring clarity to the story because you can just do a simple reading of it. It's pretty clear. But whether you take it out or whether you leave it in, it sounds very much like something Jesus would do based on other stories that are canonized without question. It does not change anything essential about our doctrine whatsoever. Remove it or keep it, and it still doesn't change Jesus' character at least one bit. Yeah, and then we see the Light of the World discourse. Uh, We are covering this on IG as well, so make sure you check that out. Uh, The Sixth Sign, the Healing a Man Born Blind in Chapter 9. The Good Shepherd discourse. Again, another one that we will explain on Instagram. That's very closely related to his I Am statement, I Am the Door. But it's connected but not separated. They're both very important. And then we move on to the confrontation at the Feast of Dedication. They wanted to stone him for claiming that he was God. So here we have the seventh sign of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This is the famous story where Jesus wept. And the responses to the raising of Lazarus. So basically people ratted him out to the Pharisees after he did something so amazing. And they were more concerned about their lives being affected than Jesus being believed in. And then we see Mary's anointing of Jesus. Mary anointed Jesus' feet with a famous, uh, not famous, with an expensive perfume. And Judas was angry because he was selfish and cared about money. That wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. That was Mary Magdalene. No, right? that was. I don't think that was Mary Magdalene. There's either. a third was Mary. Yeah. Third Mary? Was oh, it Mary yeah, yeah. Magdalene? It might have been Magdalene. Or, I don't know. 
I I thought there th- there's three. There Marys is at least three in the gospel. Wasn't Mary Magdalene the sister of Martha? No, no, no. This was the sister of Martha. Yeah. Yeah. So Mary Magdalene was a separate Mary. Yeah, I think this got it. is a third Mary. There's a lot of Marys here. I'm well, there's confused. three Marys at the cross as well. Yeah. Keep going. All right. Next is the uh, official antagonism toward Lazarus. The priest now wanted to kill Lazarus because he was a walking testimony for Jesus' power. Like I just <laughs> right? came back to life. Yeah. yeah. Come on, bro. Yeah. And then we see probably the most famous scene of all scenes in Christian history, and that's Jesus' triumphal entry. Uh, shout out to Palm Sunday. Shout you out know, to that day. You know how I love to shout out inanimate objects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then we see the announcement. If of you're listening to this, <coughs> Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, if you're listening, shout out to you, baby. Anyway, uh, then we see the Jesus' announcement of his death in chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. He was walking to Philip and Andrew. Um, I'm sorry. He was talking to Philip and Andrew since some Greeks wanted to meet him. Uh, and he announced his death. This is not the first time that he kind of paints a picture for what's going to happen. And then we see the unbelief of Israel, regardless of all of Jesus' miraculous signs, most of the people still didn't believe in him. And it sounds very much like our society today, but this happens in chapter 12, verses 37, all the way to the end in verse 50. And we are done with the first two sections of this book. Yes, that is the first two sections. So I'm going to tackle the third section now. And so Nick went over Jesus' public ministry, and the next section is more his private ministry that was really just with the disciples. And that started with the Last Supper in chapter 13, and the Last Supper kicks off with the washing of his disciples' feet, and which is a very uh, popular story that a lot of people know. <clears throat> and and it's used... <clears throat> do, it, do it at the same time, bro. One, two, three, go. <clears throat> So not only <laughs> is this an example of servanthood, which is usually what it's used for, but it's actually also a picture of salvation. And, and a lot of people overlook that because when Jesus is cleansing Peter's feet and Peter tries to stop him from cleansing his feet, Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Hmm. So not only is Jesus showing us a servant's heart, he's also giving us an alliteration for salvation here. After that, we get Jesus' announcement of his betrayal in verses 21 through 30. And Jesus basically says that one of his disciples will betray. And then following that, John asks who it is as he's reclining on Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus says it's who he will give the morsel of bread to. He then goes and gives Judas the morsel of bread and tells Judas to go do what he needs to do which confused the other disciples. They said, what is he talking about? They thought since Judas was in charge of the money, he was telling Judas to go buy some more food or something like that. But Jesus was, of course, telling him to go ahead and go betray him. Following that, we have the upper room discourse that starts at the end of chapter 13 and goes into chapter 16. And this is just basically a teaching that Jesus gave to the disciples, which starts with an announcement and a command to love one another as I have loved you after I leave. So after he dies and raises from the dead, he wants them to love one another as he has loved them. And then there's Peter's questions about Jesus' departure and Jesus' reply, where Peter asks him, where are you going? 
because I will follow you anywhere. To which Jesus says, no, you won't. You will actually deny me three times before the rooster crows, which basically just means before it's morning time. Mm-hmm. What I didn't, I didn't understand the rooster thing when I was younger, you know, but... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so after that comes Jesus' comforting revelation in view of his departure. And that's chapter 14, where he says, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. And also, we will be with him again in heaven. Following that is Jesus' promise of future understanding, which basically he tells them, you will understand everything that I'm saying once you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring understanding. And he goes on to a few other teachings. He talks about abiding in him, and we will bear fruit, and our joy will be full. And then also they talk about, or Jesus talks about how the world hates him. And so they will hate you too. So don't be surprised. And that is one thing that's kind of like, you know, people are always like, oh my gosh, people don't like Christians. People are, people are setting up unchristian laws and acting unchristian. But Jesus here in John says, do not be surprised when the world hates you because they hate me. And so they are going to hate you. So listen, guys. If you're constantly aghast that the world doesn't like you, like that word. get used to it. No longer shall you be aghast. Mm-hmm. We got to make it a soundbite. So then he clarifies the future a little bit. Says he will be leaving them soon, but they will see him again. And John sixteen sixteen is uh, something I was texting Mark and Nick about a few days ago when I was re-going through this outline. And this is where he said, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So it was kind of like a, a beautiful little reminder that Jesus was giving them that he is going to go away for a while, but one day they will be with him forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and Nick wrote a song about that. I did, I did. And he's going to sing he's, for us. Right yeah, now. he's going to give us a little bit of the sample. Yeah, that was a sample. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then lastly, in this little bit of teaching is uh, Jesus kind of clarifying his destination, and he says that he's going to be with the Father again. Do not be discouraged, though, because you will have troubles in this world, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Fun fact, that was my favorite verse for many years. All right, then we go into chapter 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And he starts with a request for himself in the first five verses, and that's basically that he would be glorified. And then he has a request for the 11 disciples, and his request for them is that they would have full joy that they would be unified as one and that they would be sanctified. This is what Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then another awesome handful of verses, verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for future believers. So this is you and me. He prays for those who will believe the word of the disciples, which is the books of the Bible. He prays that we will be perfectly one and will love people. In this way, people will come to know God. So I ask you, these are Jesus' words on how we are going to show people that God loves them. So how are we doing with that in today's church? Do you think we are unified and full of love for each other? Uh, And I leave you with that question. I'm all sweaty all of a sudden. Mom spaghetti. Mom spaghetti. Okay, then section four is Jesus' passion ministry. So this is really where we're getting to the crux of the book. You know what I mean? 
and that is chapters 18 through 20. And it starts with Jesus' presentation of himself to his enemies in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 18. This is the famous scene of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And while in the garden, Judas came with the soldiers to arrest Jesus. And then we start the trials after he's arrested. It starts with trials in front of the high priests, who is Annas and Caiaphas. Caiaphas was actually the son-in-law of Annas. Fun fact. And they were the ones who ordered Jesus to be arrested. They were the high priests. They were the religious elite. Following that is the entrance of two disciples into the high priest's courtyard and Peter's first denial. So there's actually an unnamed disciple here who goes into the trial because he knows Caiaphas. And Peter waits outside of the trial. And this is where he denies Christ three times. It starts with denying Christ to a servant girl. And then he denies Christ to some other servants while standing by a fire. And then lastly, he denies Christ to a relative of the soldier whose ear was cut off. Very interesting, right? Mm. So the guy was like, hey, didn't you cut off my cousin's ear? And the guy was like, I don't know. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Denied it. Yep. All right. Following that is Jesus' civil trial. So he's done with the high priest. And he moves on to Pilate. So the Jewish people bring Jesus before Pilate and told him that Jesus is doing evil. And then Pilate asked Jesus what he's doing and if he is a king. And Jesus replied to him and said that I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate, Pilate told the Jewish accusers that he, he didn't find any fault in Jesus. And Basically, every year at Passover, there was a custom where Pilate would allow one of the prisoners to be freed. And so he asked the Jewish accusers, would you rather have Jesus or would you rather have Barabbas, who was a robber? And later on, I believe it says that he was a murderer. But I know for sure that he's a robber. I'm unsure about the murderer part. And they chose, of course, Barabbas. They would rather Barabbas be freed than the innocent Jesus. So because of that, although Pilate was hesitant to send Jesus for crucifixion, the crowd kept pushing, and they threatened his position, actually, by saying that he is not a friend of Caesar's because he's trying to run things his own way. Mm, they're going to cancel him. Yeah. So he finally concedes because of this pressure, and he hands Jesus over for crucifixion. And that's all in chapter 19. Then the end of chapter 19 is... The actual crucifixion. So it starts, of course, with his journey where he carries the cross, verse 17. And then in verse 18, he was crucified between two other men, two robbers. Following that, in verses 19 through 22, uh, it gives us a description of the inscription that's over Jesus' cross. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, which Caiaphas protested. He said that he wanted the inscription to say, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who says he's the king of the Jews, but Pilate left it as just the king of the Jews. Mm. Fun fact. Mm. Lots of fun facts in this book. Absolutely. After that is the distribution of Jesus' garments. They cast lots to see who would get what, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. And then while Jesus was dying on the cross, there's a scene here with the three Marys. There's his mother Mary, there's Mary Magdalene, 
And there was some other Mary. Martha's sister. I don't know if it was Martha's sister. And also, John was there, the one who wrote this book. And Jesus says to his mother, Mary, woman, behold your son. And to John, he says, behold your mother. And from then on, Mary lived at John's house. And John took care of her. John took care of Mary, mother of Jesus. After this scene, in verses 25 through 27, is the death of Jesus in verses 28 through 30. And he said that he is thirsty, and he was given a sponge filled with sour wine. And after this, he says that it is finished, and he dies for your sins and for my sins. All right, so after Jesus dies on the cross, there is the treatment of his body. And basically, there was there was the two robbers next to him, and their legs were broken by the Roman soldiers, but not Jesus' legs. He was pierced in the side, and blood and water came out because the soldiers believed that Jesus was already dead. The breaking of the legs was to make sure that they were dead, but they looked at Jesus and he was dead. Um, So this was a fulfillment of prophecy, of course, that no bone shall be broken, and also that he shall be pierced. So there was two prophecies that were fulfilled in that. Mm. And then we get the burial of Jesus, and this is Joseph and Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who Nick talked about earlier, they took Jesus' body and they prepared it and they buried it in a garden tomb, which you can go see in Israel for nineteen ninety nine. There's two of them. Oh. Uh, the other tombs? one's more expensive, though, isn't it? The tombs? Yeah. Yeah, there's two of them. Oh, I don't know. And I think there's two... Well, isn't there one Catholic tomb? Okay. And there's one Muslim tomb, I think. Of Jesus? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I think. They're both in Israel, though. Two different gardens. Yeah. One Muslim garden, one Catholic garden. The Catholic garden has a little statue of Mary in front. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What does the Muslim <laughs> garden have? A little statue of Muhammad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyways. Um, so, yeah, after the burial of Jesus comes the resurrection, of course, and that is chapter 20. And... It starts with the discovery of Peter and John. So this is a little bit out of chronological order here for a little bit. And basically, it's Mary Magdalene, who saw the tomb was empty, told Peter and John, who then ran out there and saw the empty tomb. And then it kind of backtracks here in verses 10 through 18 and talks about how Mary Magdalene discovered the tomb. That while she was at the tomb, Jesus appeared to her. And then she went and told the disciples. So it's a little bit confusing on the chronology. You just Mm -hmm. have to know that it's not really in order there. The true chronology is Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, found out Jesus wasn't there, went and told the disciples, and Mm. then Peter and John came to the tomb. And then there was the appearance to the 11 minus Thomas, so it was the 10, I guess. Yeah. uh, That evening, later that evening. So Jesus appeared to them in a room, but Thomas wasn't there. And that leads into the next part, verses 24 through 29, where Jesus appeared again And Thomas was there. And Jesus told Thomas, who doubted before that Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I wouldn't believe unless I can put my finger in the hole in his hands and the hole in his side. And so Jesus appeared and he told Thomas to put his hands in his side and put his hands in his hands. This might be a dumb question, but wouldn't it have been 10 that he appeared to since Judas had already Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, because you said 11. Yeah, 11 minus Thomas, which is 10. 
Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, oh, after, okay, after okay. Judas, I didn't hear that part. after okay. Judas, until the beginning of Acts, they're kind of referred to as the eleven in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So there's the twelve, then the eleven, and then there's the twelve again in Acts. In Acts, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, following that, we get the purpose of the gospel, which Nick hit on in the beginning of the episode. That is in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, so that you may believe in Jesus Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we are praying that for you, the listener. Absolutely. And then lastly, John finishes with an epilogue, and this is the fifth section, and this is just chapter 21. And basically, there's uh, just a couple appearances here. There's firstly Jesus' appearance to the seven disciples in Galilee. And this is a very interesting story, and it's a great conclusion. Mm-hmm. I think it's a beautiful conclusion that John added here. Basically, the disciples were fishing, and Jesus was making breakfast on the beach, and they weren't catching any fish, and they didn't realize it was Jesus at the moment. They weren't catching any fish, and Jesus from the beach told them to cast their nets on the other side, which they did, and their nets were then full of fish, and they knew it was Jesus. So basically, they ran to him. They ran to him now realizing that this is Jesus and they ended up having a breakfast of fish and loaves Hmm. with Jesus. So it's kind of an awesome callback to events here. There's the calling of the disciples, which happened when he told them to cast their nets on the other side. There's a callback to the multiplying of the loaves and fish. And then there's a little bit of a callback of Peter walking on the water towards Jesus because in this story, Peter throws himself into the water and swims to Jesus um, so it's really it's a really beautiful conclusion to the book. Yeah, doesn't he? He also asks Peter if he loves him three times. Yeah, so that is the next section where he tells Peter three times. Uh, he asks him if Peter loves him, and then in response to Peter says yes, and in response to that Jesus said, "If you love me, then feed my, my sheep. sheep." He becomes uh, quite the legit preacher and pastor. Yeah, there's the sheep. Oh, I forgot to feed my sheep this morning. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the last two verses are just the writer's postscript where basically John proclaims his authorship and says that if anything was written down that Jesus did, it could not be contained in books. It's just not possible. Are you though? That's just how much that there was. You said if. Everything was written down? Yeah. So he's yeah. basically saying, these are the highlights. I couldn't possibly write any everything down that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Nobody could. Yeah. So that is it. That is the book of John. We are thankful that you guys listened to us. Hey, if you are new to Bible Dingers, you can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or Pandora or... I'm not sure if none of of those fail or if all of those fail, (laughs) if none of those fail, you're in great shape. If all of those fail, however, you can obviously go to. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize your coffee was there. (laughs) All right. BibleDingers.com does not work. (laughs) You got to reset. It doesn't work. Why would it just not work? That is so weird. Isn't that weird? All right. So, anyways, uh, that soundbite is broken, and I also spilled coffee on Mark. Uh, but you can go to BibleDingers.com, and you can hear all of our episodes. Yes, you can. And also, if you go on Facebook, 
Instagram, and Twitter. You could search us at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Make sure you hit follow, hit subscribe, hit like, and most importantly, ding on. Sure that my mama's right.